the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I, di and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The second scripture is First uh, Corinthians verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, and in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved. If you will hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys, for reading that. Um, hello. My name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Palms, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. And um, we are, um, we usually, over the course of the year, take a look at the great story of God for beginning from Genesis, going all the way through uh, the end of the New Testament. Uh, it's something we call the narrative lectionary, or something that's called the narrative lectionary. And we were uh, scheduled to begin that a couple weeks ago, but I don't know, something happened a couple weeks ago that kind of disrupted things in general. And so we, uh, the last two weeks kind of focused our attention a little bit on, you know, what are we to understand and how are we to live through this storm and, and such. And so now we're here uh, on this Sunday and we're going to pick up again with the story of God. We would have looked at the creation story a couple weeks ago and then Abraham and Isaac last week. So now we're here this week, and we're looking at the story of Jacob. Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, one of the great key characters in the story of God, the story of God's people. And uh, we heard one of these great stories of Jacob and Jacob's ladder today. And so we're going to look at that as well as uh, some of the story of God as it unfolded uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul. But to that end, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and we thank you that you are through your Holy Spirit, always speaking through your word to us. And we pray, Lord, that you will 
Give us ears to hear, hearts to feel, minds to understand, to discover what it is that you wish for us to know and to be and to do for the sake of your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So to begin this morning, I have a warning. And the warning is that this sermon, the next 15 minutes or so, may not be very relevant to you if you come from a perfect family. If you come from a perfect family and you've got it all figured out and you have no squabbles, you have no brokenness, you have no conflicts, you have no divorce, you have no betrayal, well then best you right now just turn on your iPhone and check your email, texts, and tweets because this sermon has nothing to do with you. But in the small chance that you don't come from a perfect family, that your family tree is not entirely harmonious and placid and peaceful, then maybe these next 15 minutes might be something for you. Not that we don't work hard to project a perfect family as possible to the world. Facebook is filled, right, with 99.9% happy family pictures. I have yet to see a picture on Facebook or Instagram of families screaming at each other or couples contemplating divorce or parents grounding their 16-year-old son. That just usually doesn't make it into our social media network. And so it's tempting to idolize even the external appearances of families close to us and wonder, why do they have it so much better than I do? Because that's usually not the case. Every family tree has its weak limbs, some severed roots, some diseased core. This week, in fact, we took down a couple of stately laurel oaks in our courtyard, and when you go out there, the place looks a lot different, and, and there was something in me that just hated to see that happen, those beautiful old trees coming down, especially when there were still leaves hanging on the branches. But the truth is, as we learned, the trees were dying, and they were not nearly as healthy as they appeared to be, and frankly, they were hollowed out as we discovered after we cut them down, they were hollowed out. And it was a good thing that we brought them down, and it was a good thing they didn't fall down during the storm. So appearances in trees, family trees included, can be deceiving. So over the last couple of years, I've even taken a look at my own family tree. I've done the Ancestry.com thing and the genealogy stuff, and, and, and you've heard me extol the headline of my family tree, the McConnell family tree, great-grandfather, Presbyterian minister, grandfather, Presbyterian minister, father, uncle, Presbyterian ministers, two brothers, Presbyterian ministers, talk about a dysfunctional family, right? So, <laughs> and I say that all the time, you know, kind of to be funny, but of course there's truth in it, right? Every family is dysfunctional in its own way except for those of you who are now checking your emails, because you have the perfect family. So a closer look into my family, and you see things like alcoholism, death from addiction, prostitution, divorce, adultery, severed relationships, bankruptcy, suicide, and that's just going back two generations. But those are not the pictures I put on my Facebook page. Even now, you probably are thinking about your own family tree and the cast of characters that Hollywood probably could not even have a chance of reproducing because we all have saints and sinners in our past, scoundrels and heroes. Aunt Martha, who sewed blankets for the Red Cross, and Uncle Charlie, who spent most of his time down at the corner bar. Pete and Judy, the perfect couple until the last of their kids went to college and they divorced. Cousin Larry, who hit it big in Silicon Valley, and Cousin Teresa, who's battling stage three cancer. 
Brother Mark, who you're no longer talking to, and Sister Susan, who you call every day. The family trees of you and me have all sorts of leaves with all sorts of color. The biblical family is itself quite colorful, as we learn. A couple weeks ago, when we were looking at the call of Moses, which we will do again next week, we, we heard God refer to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God puts his name to this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, let me tell you, this is not the family that's going to make it under the cover of Family Circle magazine. Not only that, but that God in his word, opens up his family and puts it on Facebook, all the stories, including the bad ones. Abraham and his brother have a falling out and they have a bad real estate deal that goes south and then it gets worse after that. Isaiah, Isaac's wife cheats on her husband, robs her son of, his, of, of the family blessing. Brothers Jacob and Esau sever their relationship for a time. Jacob plays favorites among his sons who in turn attempt fratricide. I mean, this family is supposed to be embodying the promise of God, the story of God, and yet it has enough dysfunction in it to land them on the cover of psychology today. So in the midst of all this generational up and down, the joys and the sorrows, the sinners and the saints, our story finds today, as we heard, Jacob, who's pretty much on the run from his brother, who hates him, Having cheated his brother out of the family blessing, we find this semi-scoundrel Jacob out in the wilderness, no roof for a head, stone for a pillow, sleeping under the stars. And he has a dream. Dreams are big in the Bible. He has a dream, and he dreams of a ladder, a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven. A ladder that stretches from his own self, his own soul, his own place in life. And this ladder is connecting up to the heavens and ascending and descending the ladder are the angels of God. And, and God says in the dream, know that I'm with you, Jacob. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, I submit to you that that is a startling word from God. That is a startling word from God because it sounds like what God is saying is that when it comes to the movement of his gracious story, when it comes to the advance of his gracious promise, when it comes to being in the company of angels, even the sinners and the scoundrels have a part to play. I'll say that again, when it comes to the movement of God's gracious story, when it comes to the advance of God's gracious promise, when it comes to even being in the company of angels, in the story of God, it seems like even the sinners and the scoundrels have a part to play. Yes, even the sinners and the scoundrels that you may find in your world, in your family tree, in your relational database, even the sinner, hear this, even the sinner and scoundrel in you. Because you see, when we talk of the grace of God, we're tempted only to think of the grace of God as that, that power that sets us free from our sin and forgives us. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, I think, because the grace of God is a movement. It is a power. It is an advance that works its way through the course of history and through every single person, saint and sinner alike. Like it or not, because, because of this, we are who we are, and we are who we are because we are on the family tree that God has put us in. 
Sometimes to give grace and sometimes to receive it. The grace of God is operative through every human being that steps into and out of our lives. Sometimes in the moment that is very difficult to see. Sometimes our prayers might be to rid ourselves of such people. Sometimes our desire is to be shaken free from the family tree. But the truth is God is at work through all the color of the tree. Not just even our families, but every single person that steps into our lives. Lord knows, Lord knows if God's grace can work through my family. <laughs> God's grace can work through any family. When the Apostle Paul took the time to consider his part in the unfolding story of God, I can only imagine that the first thing Paul could think to do was just laugh. <laughs> laugh. I mean, if there is ever anyone disqualified from playing a role in the advance of the story of God, it was Paul. I'm the least of the apostles, he tells us in 1 Corinthians. I'm the least of the apostles. Unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am who I am, he says. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. Something to imagine that is crazy as your family might be, as screwy as some people might be that are in your life, as tragic even as events have unfolded for you, that still somehow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still posts his ladder and seeks to pour the grace of angels into our midst so that what seems so wrong can become something so redeemable. I have two friends who are Presbyterian ministers, and to this day, I cannot understand why. And it's not that they're not great ministers. They are phenomenal pastors, but they were called to ministry out of the tragedy of their families. One whose trusted family pastor broke up his parents' marriage through an affair. That'll keep you from being a pastor. And the other who lost his family, his entire family, through an act of violence. Each of these guys are shepherding now the people of God. And each would say that a large reason why is because of their sinful past, their, their broken families. But I am who I am, Paul says. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. No, 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 it's not that God makes these things happen, of course not. But by God's grace, he still works with what we give him, using even our cracked clay jars as vessels of his Holy Spirit and grace. When I was starting my senior year in high school, my parents announced to me that I was going to have a sister. Not through birth, not through adoption, but they had invited into our home a young woman my age from our congregation who was very ill. She had anorexia and eating disorder and she needed help. And part of that help is that she needed to be away from her family and be with another family. And so she got to be a part of our family and I learned quickly that this was something for which I did not get a vote. <laughs> this was gonna happen. But I was 17 and I was pretty self-absorbed and I kind of wanted the world to revolve around me. At least I thought that's what it was supposed to work like. But now the world was not gonna revolve around me in my senior year of high school. 
No, the world was going to revolve around her. And from my last year of high school, I got to watch my parents put their attention to her, to the care of this young woman. And I got to experience within a family the pain of care, the tension of care, the getting worse before it gets better reality. And I was not a hero in this. I was a 17-year-old, self-absorbed, and wanting the world to revolve around me. But somewhere in the midst of all that, I learned something. I learned that the world doesn't revolve around me. And I learned that sometimes people walk into your life for the express reason to teach you something. Sometimes angels come that don't look like angels. Sometimes they're sickly. Sometimes they're sinners. Sometimes they're scoundrels. Sometimes they're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes they're just plain broken. And we become who we become by virtue of them. And we pray that his grace toward us will not be in vain. It might explain the painting that hung in my childhood home. In our living room, my parents had hung the paint, the, a print of a painting by Andrew Wyeth, the famous painting entitled Christina's World. When I was young, I didn't really quite understand what this painting was all about, but my parents began to explain it to me. The painting was of a woman named Christina who was a neighbor of Andrew Wyeth and his family. She was severely crippled, unable to walk, her pride kept her from using a wheelchair, and so the best she could do for herself was to crawl. And she would crawl every day wherever she went. And every day she would crawl out of her house and she would make her way through the farm over to her little garden and there she would tend it. And then when she was done, she would crawl back to her home. And every day this was sort of the sum and substance of her life. Wyeth grew to know Christina and her brother and saw something in her that few could see. He saw in her a reflection of art, a means of grace, a gift to share with the world. And so he painted her and her world. And a print of this painting hung in my home. And the story my parents share with me is that we all have Christinas in our life. Imperfect creations as imperfect as the rest of us. Imperfect creations of God. But that they're means of grace. Angels sent to teach us. Sometimes they're in our families, sometimes they're outside of our families. And they explained that we had our own Christina, my severely mentally handicapped brother Jim whose world was and still is bigger, no bigger than Christina's, that he too was an angel. And so we were all, so were all the other quite imperfect members of our family, and even those church folk who came through our home from time to time and stayed a while. Some were there, they told me, to give grace, and some were there to receive it. But all angels, imperfect angels of grace, just like the rest of us. So Jacob the scoundrel dreams of angels, 
as bad an apple as he might be in the family tree, he's still in the company of angels, and angels appear to him, and even angels are a part of him. Somehow, some way, God is pouring God's grace through him. That was the promise. It's always been the promise. A somebody God never made a nobody person. By his grace, we are who we are. And may his grace toward us never be in vain. Amen. like a river washing over me a fountain of Christ in me thank you Jesus you set me
set me apart. I love you more. I love you more. You've given me life. You've opened my eyes. I love you more. I love you, Lord. You've entered my heart. You've set me apart. I love you. every encounter we have is a sacred encounter because we may be giving or receiving the grace of God. And now may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your hearts so that all might see and believe. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.
One, two, three, four, 